Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, a tale of butterflies, egg sacs, and loneliness. Itsy Bitsy Spider Crawled Up the Lonely Man was originally released August 18th of 2020 and is read to you tonight by Sam Barlian with musical backing by Mew, Ryan Creep, Johnny Easton, Kevin McLeod, and Darren Curtis. Is your algorithm also getting filled up with weird videos of industrial machines? I'm sure it's gonna be fine. Nothing nefarious there. If you do, however, want to help cleanse your algorithm, make sure to give the Cabinet of Fever Dreams a 5-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Takes a second and really helps the show get pushed to new listeners. It can be your one good deed for the week. With that said, don't think about industrial videos. Don't think about industrial videos, relax, and let yourself be transported by this tale of webs. For the longest time, all that I could think about was how lonely I am. Every morning started with the soft rumbles of whatever audiobook I decided to put on to help me sleep. My job, being work from home, ensured that I could work from bed if I was ever tired. Even though I knew it was terrible for my back, I... I made that luxury the status quo. I barely ever got up. I didn't eat much, and on a long enough time scale, showers became a distant memory. For the longest time, all I could think about was how lonely I was. But I don't anymore. Now, all I think about are the spiders. They say that Jesus' biggest miracle was having 12 close friends in his 30s. Even though I was 29, the sentiment echoed through my head on a regular basis. In an effort to pay rent after a round of layoffs at the bar where I worked, I picked up a job managing the social media presence for a big clothing brand. You've probably worn them at some point in your life. And chances are that the Instagram and Facebook posts that I curated for them have slid across your newsfeed once or twice over the past year. You probably didn't think about those paths too hard, and neither did I. I stayed in touch with some of my old co-workers from the Pavok Lounge. For a couple of weeks, we had a lively group chat where we reminisced about how trashy the lounge was. I wasn't a bartender at a cobweb-covered dive bar anymore, but at least I had a group of digital friends that I could reminisce with about the good old times. For a while, we even talked about getting together and opening our own bar, but as time went on, well, the stories ran out, and we all realized the Pavok Lounge was the only thing we had in common. By the time the lounge closed down, the chat was completely dead, and as was my social life. My new bosses were happy with the work I was doing on the Instagram captions, but they wanted more interactions with the consumers of their product. I thought that having a quota of how many comments I had to respond to a day would make me less lonely, but I did the exact opposite. Have you ever read the comment section on a random clothing brand's photo? No normal human being feels like they have anything to say about jeans in a public forum. The vast majority of the people I interacted with on the brand's profiles had the social skills of frenzied insects. Every day, I would crawl through the webs of the internet and talked to husks of humanity that just reminded me how far divided I was from real life. Each second that I spent scrolling on my phone dragged on into endlessness. Yet the weeks passed in the snap of a finger. My life had become one long, lonely stay in bed with occasional bathroom breaks, but then an investigative journalist crew snapped me out of my depressive spiral. 
The role of slave wage labor in modern consumerism isn't exactly a secret. The expensive minerals in our smartphones don't just happily pop out of the ground on their own. The suicide nets set up around third world factories aren't there for aesthetic purposes. Cheap clothing brands are an outlandish luxury to the people who weave them. People know these things, but they shrug them off with a, oh, that sucks, but what can you do? The excuse works. But it's a lot harder to shrug off when you're watching hidden camera footage from the sweatshops. The fact that the expose about the factories dropped during a boiling hot summer added an extra glint of relatability to the footage. After the videos went viral, my bosses scrambled to put together a response regarding the allegations. Within a couple of hours, there was a black and white statement on all our social media pages promising to do better. And I was given a two-week paid vacation while the corporate spin doctors stabilized the situation. I spent the first week of my vacation sweating in bed on a never-ending catatonic scroll through the interwebs. My entire newsfeed was filled up with automated car factory content that the algorithm presumed I liked. I didn't. I just hoped that somewhere among those videos of many-armed spider-god machines I would find some semblance of social interaction, a live concert, a, a birthday party, anything. Instead, I scrolled across an advertisement. A dinky facsimile of a rainforest, limb vines hanging from jagged plastic rock, tufts of mist flowing down from a fluorescent lit ceiling, Messiaric's butterfly garden. But it wasn't the garden that caught my attention, it was the address. Butterflies lived where the Pavok Lounge once stood. As I lay on that gross mattress, I decided it was time to get up. The rest of the world was moving on, and I figured I would go check out the incessant march of time. If only I'd known what was waiting for me at Messier Rick's Butterfly Garden, I, I probably would have stayed home. The afternoon sun scorched everything in its path, and I was drenched in a new layer of sweat within minutes. But there was a cool melancholy stirring in my veins. Even though I was going to see some dingy butterfly garden, I was taking the same commute that I would take when I was working in the Pavok Lounge. The subway wind ruffled my hair as I rode down the escalator. The tram was just as packed and sweaty as it had been the previous summers. I could recognize the mundane bits of a happier life I once lived. When I got to the butterfly garden, I recognized another part of my old life. All the decor from the Pavok Lounge was gone, where neon lights and graffiti once loomed, there was conservative light fixtures and pixelated pictures of exotic butterflies. The crisp sounds of classic rock that would bounce through the underground halls of the bar were now replaced with soulless meditation music that would fit right into a three-hour YouTube playlist. But as I walked towards the ticket stand, I could recognize a familiar hulking face. Emil! I yelled at the old bouncer from the Pavok Lounge. When I entered, his shaved head was bowed in complete concentration, trying to understand something on his tiny phone. Yet as soon as he heard his name, Emil looked up. For a split second, there wasn't a hint of recognition in those dark eyes, but finally, Emil smiled his chipped tooth smile. Hey, you, he said. You're one of the bartenders who used to work here, right? And some nights... Back when the only bugs at the Pavok Lounge were the flies in the men's bathroom and the hungry spiders that crawled across the ceiling, I would stick around for drinks after my shift ended. A good chunk of those nights were spent hanging out with Emil, 
the mammoth Moravian bouncer, and chatting about life. I distinctly remembered how the man could freely transition between headbutting the groom of a drunken stag party to excitedly talking about the puppy he had at home. For a second, I was hurt that he didn't remember my name, but I was just happy to be talking to a familiar face. How's Zoe doing these days? I asked. Mentioning the dog made the mountain of muscle melt. Ah, she's grown. More of a horse than a pooch now. Starting to think that maybe I'll leave this whole security life behind me and just go live with her in the countryside. He shifted around on the tiny chair that he was sitting on. The amount of tattoos that Emil had on his neck seemed wildly inappropriate for a butterfly garden. So you work, uh, security here? Ah, yeah. Definitely calmer out here than in the bar scene, but the bosses need someone to take care of the crazies. The flimsy chair creaked as he leaned over to me. There's some loony guys out there. Don't look any different than a regular customer, but as soon as I let them into the garden, they just start smushing the butterflies. Jesus, I said, remembering how swiftly Emil would choke out dudes who got too gropey on the dance floor. Yep, recession brings out the worst in everyone, he said, cracking his swollen knuckles. What have you been up to these days? I run the social media accounts for a clothing brand. About as entertaining as a Monday night at the lounge. Social media. Emil let out a frustrated grunt. I don't get it. I got one of those Facebook accounts to look up tips on how to train Zoe, but instead my phone is filled up with weird factory videos. Weird factory videos, I asked breathlessly, reaching for my phone, excited that our eerie news feeds were tying us together. I have those too, I have no idea what- Excuse me sir, me and my son have been waiting in line for at least five minutes. The sharp-faced woman standing behind me had a haircut that firmly put her into stereotype territory. She looked like the type of person who enjoys talking to managers. I wanna see the butterflies, mommy! I wanna see the butterflies! A snot-faced goblin yelled as he held her hand. Would you two gentlemen mind having your personal conversation on your own time? The Karen hissed. Emil smiled and motioned me towards the butterfly garden entrance. Ex-Pavok employee discount. Enjoy. Don't smush any of the butterflies. And let's grab a beer sometime too, Jake. My name's not Jake. But the free entry and promise of future social contact elated me enough to let the wrong name slip by. I made my way past the corridor filled with dry academic descriptions of the butterflies I was about to see and entered the garden. The newsfeed advertisement didn't do Messiaric's butterfly garden any justice. Sure, the plastic stones looked as fake as one would expect, and the few bits of natural foliage were in desperate need of a gardener, but... The garden itself was an oasis of calm in a sweaty world. A cool mist flowed down from the ceiling that made me completely forget about the heat of the summer. The artificial waterfall, intermixed with the droning meditation music that played off the loudspeakers, saturated the garden with a legitimate feeling of peace. Bright-colored butterflies drifted through the underground room without a care in the world as I started to fantasize about a blossoming social life. Emil and me would eventually go grab a beer. He'd stop calling me Jake, and we'd become real friends. And he'd introduce me to his own social circle. A bright future tugged at my imagination. 
The bratty kid that the Karen had brought in kept on yelling stuff about the butterflies, but his shrieks dissipated into the cosmic calm radiating from the garden. A gentle bug adorned in regal purple landed on my wrist. The legs of the butterfly gently caressed my skin as it explored my body. I find myself thinking about how butterflies taste with their feet. I wondered how I tasted. I wondered what the alien creature thought of me. What it thought of our interaction. What it thought of humans in general. But then, as the fragile bug sucked at my moist skin, I, I felt another set of insect feet on my body. It moved down gently from my neck to my shoulder. By the time its hairy appendages caught my attention, the creature was crawling down my arm. Eight skinny legs. And eight black eyes. The thick-bellied arachnid was creeping towards the unsuspecting butterfly on my wrist. I tensed up and reminded myself that grown men don't scream in butterfly gardens, and tried to casually brush the spider off to the floor. The creature clung to my body with an imperceptible tightness, and as soon as my hand passed over it, there was an octet of black marble staring daggers into my soul. It didn't want to move. I didn't want it on my hand. We were at an impasse. I tried to brush the spider off again, but before I even raised my hand, the creature retaliated. Hairy fangs pinched my skin with the intensity of a branding iron. Ah! I yelled. My reflexes kicked in. A sharp slap cut through the meditative mood of the garden. The regal butterfly fled frantically from my wrist towards the fluorescent lights above. Mommy! Mommy! That man killed a butterfly! A scream came from behind me. The contents of the spider's sack were oozing beneath my palm. It, it wasn't a butterfly. It was a... You're sick. Why would you kill an innocent butterfly? Why would you come here and murder those beautiful creatures in front of my child? The Karen screamed in her shrill voice. You should be ashamed of yourself. Freaks like you should be locked up. Security. Security. Before I could explain that I held no hatred towards butterflies, the door to the garden burst open and a raging bull of a man approached me. Did you smush a butterfly, Jake? Emil screamed with a type of fury in his eyes that I thought was reserved solely for people who vomit at the bar. Yes, he did. Throw him out. Call the cops. He's a butterfly-killing psychopath. Karen screamed almost joyfully. What did I tell you about smushing the butterflies, Jake? My name is not Jake. Emil ended any chance for me to explain myself when his thick skull connected to my fragile nose. We are not going to be grabbing a beer anytime soon. On my way back home, I bought some frozen peas to ease the pain that was burning in my nose and arm. I also grabbed some spices, some chickpeas, and the hopes of treating myself to a home-cooked dinner, but by the time I got home, any aspirations of having a nice evening had become a pipe dream taste of my own blood wouldn't leave my mouth regardless of how much Listerine I washed through it. Each breath that I took through my nose sent echoes of the headbutt down my neck, and the spider bite on my arm had swollen to the size of a ping pong ball. Instead of cooking, I ate a couple handfuls of stale chips and laid down in my sweat-drenched bed. The melting pack of peas I draped over my face eased the pain in my crooked nose, but amplified my misery. I was friendless, bloated, resigned to breathe through my mouth while everyone was enjoying their summer. The sun had barely set, but 
sleep came easy. I convinced myself I could turn my life around as soon as I woke up. I didn't. Everything around me filtered itself through a fever dream. I couldn't tell whether I was awake, asleep, or a mixture of the two. But I was confined to my bed by a gentle yet irresistible force. Just as I was trying to make sense of the reality I was in, a group of short silhouettes manifested itself around my bed. At first, they observed me, giggling like children, but soon they broke into song. let loose another round of giggles. They sounded like kindergartners, but as their features sharpened under the moonlight, all thoughts of humanity left my head. Their bodies were short and stubby, the bodies of children, but their heads were covered with thick bristles of hair and fangs. Mucus dripped from their mouths as those shapeless eyes grew closer. From a fit of laughter, one of the arachnoid figures launched its fangs at my swelling arm. I woke up. The packet of peas on my forehead had grown damp and warm, and the hot summer night had coated my entire body in a thick layer of sweat. Yet as disoriented as I was, as bewildering as my dream was, the bloated spider bite gripped my attention with sobering fear. Even in the dim light of the moon, I could tell that the skin on my arm had turned a dark red. The swelling had grown. A baseball-sized growth hung from my forearm like a paralyzed baby limb. I, I felt my way towards the night lamp. The mass of flesh throbbed with each beat of my racing heart. I, I sat up on my bed, looking for a phone, trying to figure out whether I was calling an ambulance or an Uber. Yet as I shifted around, the fleshy bulb pulsated. Something beneath it was moving. Something beneath my skin was squirming, trying to get out. In a mystified curiosity, I touched the swollen bite. It burst forth a wave of blackness that squirmed its way across my body. I was covered in spiders. They were crawling towards my mouth. I sprung up to my feet and swung my panicked arms around, trying to get all the spiders off me. They fell to the floor in heavy clumps of writhing life, but for each fistful of spiders that I swept off, there was at least one that held firm to my skin. The survivors of my sweeps bit, and they bit hard. It was as if I was being pelted with buckshot at a distance. My sweaty body exploded in a hot burst of clustered pain. The spiders made their way to my head. They crawled across my bruised face, gnawing down on my flesh for every bit of resistance. As I screamed, a wave of thin-legged life made its way down my throat, biting along the way. I ran into my shower, grabbed a bottle of Listerine. I drank a good half of the bottle before the stinging pain in my neck eased. The current of frigid water from the showerhead washed out the eight-legged horrors that were crawling all over my body. My feet stood in a pool of pink. The dead spiders had clogged my drain. There was no one that I could call. There was no one that I could tell about the terrible experience that I had just gone through. There was no one that I could share my horrible life with. 
Even past the freezing water, my body still pulsed with hot, foreign bites. The growth of my arm that had just given birth to a thousand spiders was now just a flap of skin, impotently dripping pus and blood into my shower. But the new bites were starting to balloon up into nests of life. I wept. I stood in the shower, rocking a Listerine buzz and... and wept. From the back of my head, as if in response to my tears, I heard the spider children of my dream continue their chant. Itsy-bitsy spiders coming from the wood Down the skin and body and all across the room The itsy-bitsy spiders won't go anywhere Crawling in his mouth and through his body as the melody creaked across my mind, a wave of new discomfort traveled through my body. The bloated spider bites erupted in an inchiness so demanding that I fell out of the shower trying to attend to it. My nose met the bathroom floor with a blood-gushing crack. But within seconds, the burning of my skin overpowered any other perception of pain. I slammed my swollen back against the wall, and I rubbed as hard as I could. I, I needed to scratch the itch. A twinge of relief crawled down my spine, but the rest of my body still burnt with unimaginable discomfort. It just wouldn't stop. The bites kept on bloating up. The inside of my throat was roaring with the need to be scratched. I, I was trapped in an unimaginable wave of discomfort and horror. My back grew wet. Blood and, and pus. And in that blood and pus, tiny spiders. I slid off the wall into the hallway, desperately rubbed my naked spider-covered body against the carpet, but the searing itches persisted, the bites, the pain, the sheer suddenness of my suffering. My body transcended the moment and entered a universe purely built on misery. Any hint of a personal past before the spiders or hope of a future where my skin wasn't burning was covered in a thick, incomprehensible wave of torment. As all-consuming as the pain was, however, in the back of my burning skull a faint echo of a nursery rhyme took hold. A thousand tiny spider children spoke to me, with laughter in their voice. It took me until sunrise to figure out that the spiders would only bite me if I tried to fight them off. Once that horrible eternity of pain started to fade away, I, I crawled over to my bed, wrapped my bloody body in sweaty blankets, and fell asleep. It's a record-breaking summer day, but the soft silk of the web keeps me cool. People are out there, having picnics, hanging out at water parks, eating fancy vegan ice cream and chic cafes, and for the longest time that would have bothered me. 
I would have laid in bed, letting myself get consumed by thoughts of a life I wasn't living. But I don't anymore. Now, all I think about are the spiders. They crawl around my body and live their little arachnid lives. They breed, they weave, and when I'm feeling hungry, I crawl into my mouth. It's not optimal. I'd rather be out in the city, meeting new friends, forging new relationships, <laughs> falling in love, but if I even think about getting up, they start biting. <laughs> I couldn't go through that pain again without losing what little sanity I have. It's not optimal. It sucks, but what can you do? At least there's a silver lining to it all. For the longest time, all I could think about was how lonely I was. But I don't anymore. Now I'm not alone. Now I'm covered in spiders. Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, Bob Kondurk, Chicken Mixer, and Daniel Wengel. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash mikejlanger. And so concludes this episode of the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Make sure to drop by next episode for the start of the Machine series.